1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? In the 21st century, a weapon will be invented like no other. This weapon will be powerful, versatile, and indestructible. It can't be reasoned with. It can't be bargained with. It will feel no pity, no remorse, no pain, no fear. It will have only one purpose, to return to the present and prevent the future. This weapon will be called the Terminator. You're dead, honey. What day is it? The date? 12th, May, Thursday. What year? Assigned to protect you. You've been targeted for termination. Why does it want me? Why me? Arnold Schwarzenegger is the Terminator. Your future is in its hands. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Is It Yours, the movie review program. Today, I am here to take a look at the 1984 movie, The Terminator. As we were discussing movies to do, Mr. Mike Zumo had contacted me and said, has anybody asked to do The Terminator yet? And I said, not yet, so you're going to be on board. So welcome aboard, Mike. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And you're welcome. 
And, you know, Bill is my always Arnold Schwarzenegger partner. So I said, Bill, you want to come on? And he said, sure. So Bill Robinson's with us. Yeah, 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 yeah. And as we were getting ready to go on, we found Scott lurking behind a garbage pail somewhere, begging to be on with us. So we let him come on. So we also have please, Scott Gardner here. Please, please let me on the show. Hi, how's it going? <laughs> it's going good. How you doing? I'm doing really good. I, I'm very uh, excited to be here because I don't know that I, I've really uh, ever made it that public of a thing, but uh, I'm a huge, huge Terminator fan. So yeah, I'm I'm excited about this one. Well, I think that's the best way for us to start off is how how we got involved with this movie in particular and the Terminator, just as a general franchise kind of thing. So let's start. Uh, you know, Mike, you asked to be on, so why don't you tell us first? This was probably, being that I'm probably about 10 or so years younger than everybody else in, on the chat here, this was the first R-rated movie that I ever saw. So, I think it was one night. Uh, I, I guess my, my dad had decided it was time for me to watch some science fiction other than uh, superheroes and Star Wars. It's time for you to man so, up and watch a movie with boobies in it. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> and thinking back, uh, I think Linda Hamilton's might be the first boobies I've seen that weren't my mother's. So uh, <laughs> no, no, that's TMI. <laughs> <laughs> but no, this was the uh, first, uh, like the first R- R-rated movie he, uh, he 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 let me watch, uh, and I was a huge, huge fan of it. Right? Uh, Did you you right see it in the movie movie theater? One of the, no, I'm way no, I'm way too young. I would have been like three years old when it came out. Oh, little geez. little young for the movie theater. I probably saw it in like 1990 or so, maybe around the time that. A year or so before the second one came out. Okay, so, yeah, that's just a sign of how much older than you I am. But uh, right. <laughs> let's, let's shift over to Scott for now. Are we skipping over Bill? Well, we'll get to Bill. Oh, okay. It's, um, uh, there's no there's no set order. It's whatever whatever <laughs> comes to my mind. Um. So I was actually, uh, I was just trying to look up what the name of the theater was, if I could possibly find it. And I, I'm not finding it here, but uh, it, it actually shocks me a little bit when I think back to watching The Terminator for the very first time. Because um, I saw The Terminator uh, in first release in, in 1984. Uh, let's see, when did it come out? It says here it came out in October. Hmm. So I'm a, I'm actually that's weird. I'm just wondering when I actually saw it because that's a little bit late. So here here's the story. So um, I would um, in the summertime, you know, on school breaks or what, I would usually go to um, my cousin Michelle's. In, in you now she lived in Fulton, New York, which is a, a suburb of Syracuse. And I'd usually go there for I, I forget how long. Usually like a week or something like that. And and I would stay and, and visit her. Um, her mother, uh, was, was divorced from my uncle Gary. So because, you know, she had to divide her time between being with her mom and being with, uh, with my uncle. Um, I, you know, a lot of times depending on, you know, the, the schedule of that sort of thing would determine whether or not she would be coming up to the area where I lived, where I could get to, to see her. Or if I would have to go down there uh, and stay with them in the summer for like a week or whatever so I could see her. Because we were always close growing up and everything. So anyway, this particular summer, I was down there visiting her. 
and we went to the theater and Fulton had this this great theater I was trying to find if it still existed or, or what the name of it was and I, I couldn't find it but it was this great old-timey theater you know it was really nice you know like with the ornate walls and I think it had a curtain if I remember right but it's just a nice old-timey theater and we went there uh, and we saw it so we either saw it either I was there late in the year which is unusual um because again you know it was usually summers i would go and visit her or it was the following um summer so it, it was either you know when it came out in 84 or it was the following summer in in uh 85 but i'm pretty sure we saw it like right when it was brand new so i, I don't know what i would have been doing in fulton in october at that time but anyway i'm pretty sure we saw it when it was brand spanking new which means i was all a 16 and she would have been, let's see, October of, so she would have just turned 13. So, I mean, here we are going, you know, and it was just the two of us. We, we walked from, from where they lived. Just, just, this is just give you a peek of how, how the world was back in the eighties kids. <laughs> we actually, we walked alone at night to go to this R-rated theater, just the two of us, teenagers, underage for an, uh, for an R-rated movie, and we actually walked through the cemetery to get there. So I remember this very distinctly. And I remember us just being completely blown away uh, by this movie. We'll, we'll talk later about you know our reactions and feelings to the movie and everything, but... Uh, it was just, it was, you know, it was just a game changer of a movie and, and you know, such a fun experience and everything. But I, I really distinctly remember it. And I remember her being a little bit nervous that, you know, if, if uh, her folks found out, particularly her father, uh, found out that she had seen this movie, that he'd probably be upset because, you know, because of the nudity and the sex scene and all that. I don't think either one of us were concerned with the violence of the movie. It was it was strictly that sex scene, you know, not really anticipating that being in this movie. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that was really the thing. You know, the, the thing that made me want to go see it, because up to that point, Schwarzenegger, at, at least for me personally, wasn't that big of a thing. I, I think maybe I had seen him in Conan, depending on when Conan hit HBO. I don't, I'm, I'm not sure of the timeline of that, but if I was familiar with him at all, it would have been from Conan. And I wasn't familiar with anybody else in the movie or anything. And the reason I wanted to see the movie, and I'm, I'm not sure if maybe I drug michelle to the movie or if she wanted to see it too i really can't recall that but the reason i wanted to see it was because of the cool trailers because one of the trailers uh i remember showed the scene where he where the terminator is chasing sarah and kyle down the alley and you see things from his perspective so it had that that infrared overlay with all the digital readouts and everything and i just remembered thinking six million dollar man because <laughs> that was kind of similar to how when we got the, the perspective of Steve Austin looking through his bionic eye, it kind of looked very similar to that. So I was just intrigued by, by that, the, the idea that this guy was a cyborg. Somehow or other, that got out there. I don't know if it was in Starlog or if that was part of the trailer itself. I don't remember. But I remember knowing that the thing that was after them was a, was a cybernetic organism. And that just intrigued me because that, of course, you know, same thing, Six Million Dollar Man. So that was the whole reason I wanted to see the movie was just because it had a cyborg as a character in the movie. Beyond that, I didn't really, I don't think I knew a lot about what the movie was actually going to be. I was just, you know, intrigued by, uh, you know, by the trailers. So, yeah. 
That's that's my origin story. Dr. Bill? Uh, I don't really remember when I saw this. I know I didn't see it in the theater, so I most likely caught it on cable. Um, I think I would have been about 15 or 16, because I think you're a year older than me, Scott, right? Mm, I thought you were a year old. You were born, what, 67, right? Oh, I was born in 69. Oh, 69. Okay, so yeah, I am a year older. Okay. Oh, phew. Don't scare me like that. <laughs> Time travel. You were man. born in '52, oh. right? <laughs> what? Is that when you were born? <laughs> Methuselah. Yeah, we'll talk about when I was born later. Just get, go ahead. Tell you story. <laughs> tell you a little story. Well, I mean, uh, this was. I believe this would have been the first movie that, or uh, other than Star Trek, that really addressed time travel, especially in the way that it's affected in this movie, and that is the that's given me a. a a long-standing this movie's give me a long-standing love and interest of time travel stories and how you know the wibbly wobbly timey wimey thing can work um you know arnold like scott i had seen um on cable um conan and was somewhat familiar with arnold with, with that so uh, i'm not saying this is where my arnold impressions began I think that happened later with Predator. <laughs> when, when, when I saw that in the theater, but uh, but yeah, I mean it's it, it's a simple story. I, I wasn't trekking through graveyards. Your your cousin's name wasn't. You said your cousin, right? Yeah. Scott. Your yeah. name wasn't Barbara, right? Oh, Michelle. Oh, they're coming to get you, Barbara. <laughs> so yeah, I uh, being older than all of you. Uh, I was actually in college when this came out, and I was somewhat familiar with Arnold from the Conan movies and from Pumping Iron. Uh, not that I had seen Pumping Iron, but I was at least familiar with it. I knew who he was. But when it was in the movies, it just kind of flew under my radar, as I believe it did for most people. I don't think it was a huge box office success. I haven't actually checked that at this moment. Uh well, I mean, it was it was big considering the budget was only six point four million, and it made seventy eight yeah, million. That made seventy eight according to uh, Wikipedia. So, I mean, it made a, a tidy profit considering its budget. I think but, that's the worldwide number. Yeah, probably. I think it made thirty. I think it made thirty eight domestically. Still, not bad from uh, from six six point four. By but comparison, I just remember. But I, I think that the, the reality of this was this was a movie that was discovered much more or by a lot more people on home video. And I remember at the yes. time I worked Great with somebody, out. you know, this was in the age when you'd put two VCRs together and you'd play it in one and record it on the other. And yeah. uh, I worked with somebody yes. who, was, who kept telling me, you got to see this movie, you got to see this movie. So he made a copy of it for me and I brought it home and watched it and I was kind of blown away by it. Uh, conceptually, uh, from the start, it reminded me of uh, Days of Future Past from the X-Men. Uh, you know, it's, it's always been kind of a... a Thing, just about time travel stories in general is I just love you know the whole time paradox aspect of things and this really kind of fit that bill so well uh, but then you know the thing that was truly compelling was Arnold Schwarzenegger's performance which was in many ways an accident because it wasn't what they had intended to do with it right so you know but I think that's the thing that really made the movie shine and what, then you it mean took because you know, because they were going to have OJ as the Terminator. That was he. He was one of the <laughs> people wanted, was considered. Uh, according to Wikipedia, they, they also considered Arnold to be Reese. They they considered Mel Gibson for the Terminator, and uh, who was the other one? 
I, look, oh, I think it was uh, uh, Stallone. So, you know, it was interesting. But uh, when it's it was funny, I've never heard any of those. I I'd always heard that it was that basically they wanted Bane to be um, the Terminator and they wanted uh, Schwarzenegger to be the hero. And basically Schwarzenegger asked to flip flop the roles. That That's how I'd always heard. Well, I think I think that's when they were cast in it. But before they were cast, I think they had spoken to these other actors oh, about doing it and, and they had turned it down. I got you. Yeah, they and I do think they initially wanted Schwarzenegger to be, to be Reese. Like either he or Cameron right. decided uh, he, he'd make a better Terminator. Well, according to James Cameron, casting Arnold Schwarzenegger as our Terminator, on the other hand, shouldn't have worked. The guy is supposed to be an infiltration unit, and there's no way you wouldn't spot a Terminator in a crowd instantly if they all looked like Arnold. It makes no sense whatsoever, but the beauty of movies is that they don't have to be logical they just have to have plausibility if there's a visceral cinematic thing happening that the audience likes they don't care if it goes against what's likely that's an interesting uh, thought I, I i do agree with it to some sense to some extent but I, it's, it almost sounds a little arrogant uh you know I, they'll take whatever i put on the screen is the way it comes off right yeah but it's you know but it's not like anybody was sending four arnolds after anything as long as there's only one you can do that yeah, well, that's that's the thing. Conceptually, at the time of the Terminator movie, they never established that all the Terminators looked like Arnold, or all this model of Terminator looked like Arnold. That was something that that came into play when they did the Terminator Two. Right. You know, they they right. made it clear we that the see another Terminator in the the first Terminator in in yeah, this do. Terminator movie, and it does not look like him. Of course, that's a dream sequence too. But no, that was played by uh, Franco Colombo. Another. Yeah. Uh, Another Mr. Universe, right? Yep. yep. But the, yeah. the, the, that's the whole point, too, is that they used the dogs to sense the Terminators because they looked too human and they were able to infiltrate. Right. But the dogs could always sense the difference, which you know was consistent throughout the movie. Every time there was a dog, it would start going nuts right. by him. It would seem to make sense, though, that you can only use one model once. But then they, they changed that for Terminator 2, obviously. In fact, if, if you remember the... Uh, teaser trailer for Terminator 2 was was the the factory making Arnold's. Yeah. Which was was very cool. I remember seeing that and thinking, oh my god, I can't wait for the sequel. But we'll get (laughs) to the sequel another time. (laughs) That's the whole reason I ever bought... uh, Oh god, whatever movie that, that trailer was on, I paid... If you remember way back with video, you know, VHS I'm talking, um, before Batman, it was either Batman or Batman Returns. They didn't come out at a sell-through price. They came out and they were priced for the rental market, meaning that they were really expensive. But like there was a movie season, that, came, yeah, something like that, yeah. And there was a movie that came out that had that T2 teaser. Uh, as one of the previews, and I ended up buying it just for that. I'm trying to remember what that. If hell I remember right, that T2 teaser was on the uh, VHS copy of Predator. Maybe, may it might have been it. It I, was. I, it I was believe it was. That or Total Recall. I, I'm not oh, sure. Oh, maybe you know what? It might have been Total Recall. You're right. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, I think I, I think, think it, it was, was Total cause, Recall. Because Predator came out while I was still on, or just out of high school. And I remember seeing T2 like like in in the early '90s when I was in the service. So, but you're you're right though, Paul, in your in your memories that um, 
I mean, while it may have made money and it, it certainly made a heck of a lot more than you know versus its budget and everything, it had that that feel. At, at least up until, because I can remember being somewhat shocked when they announced that there would be a sequel, because I always had the feeling that this was one of those movies like like me and my buddies knew about it, but nobody else really did. Kind of like uh, if you remember the same thing with uh, like Highlander, which was out around the same time. I remember feeling the same way about about both of those movies that like I had seen them, but. Not a whole lot of other people did, and I remember turning on a lot of my friends to the Terminator and stuff like that. And then uh, I think it was when it hit video and and hit you know the the, the pay channels where it, it really kind of found its audience, if you know what I mean. And that mm-hmm. you know that's why it also took a while for there to be a sequel, I think, because it it quickly became like a hit in that secondary market, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I totally agree, and I I think. You know, when you liken it to Highlander, I think there is a... I think Highlander is almost a Terminator light, as far as that goes. Like, it, it started and shined right. quite as bright as Terminators did, but it was a similar path where, it, you know, it did okay in the movies, but then on home video it found a whole new audience that, right. you know, inspired sequels. Uh, let's right. let's talk a little bit about this, you know, this one as opposed to the sequels, because maybe we'll discuss sequels at a later show, and... Bill and I have already done right. uh, Terminator Genesis a while back. Genesis! <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so let, let's we'll start off with the casting in it, and and it's a, I mean it, as far as the key roles, it's relatively small. Pretty much we have Schwarzenegger being Hamilton and Paul Winfield. I don't think there's anybody else particularly. Lance Lance oh, and Lance Henderson. Lance Henderson. Lance Henderson. Apparently, according to what I read, helped secure the financing for the movie. It, well, his part isn't particularly big, though. No, but he helped get the movie made, apparently. Yeah. Well, he's clearly a Cameron uh, devotee. Right. Or, or the other way around. Right. And there's Which, a couple other people that you've seen in other movies. Uh, yeah, well, there's the dude who plays her friend's boyfriend. He was in Top Gun. Right. Uh, you know, there are other parts Rick, that you Rick recognize. Rick or Yeah, whatever. that's his name. Yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, not key roles. What about Dick Miller? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> just just what's on the shelf, pal. Only what you uh, see, pal. <laughs> uh, so, but, you know, but this, I mean, this really was, Conan the Barbarian aside, this was the breakout role for Arnold Schwarzenegger. He oh, he was definitely. he was a Yet cult he had less star. Lines, I think he had less lines in this movie than he did Conan. From a little tri- trivia thing I read, he had like twenty four lines in Conan. And he only had fourteen in this movie. Well, do Conan's grunts count as count as lines? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I think he he recognized his own. Uh, acting shortcomings, for lack of a better term, and and realized that he would be better in the Terminator role. And I think he, you know he he understood his own limitations well enough to work on them and expand them, and then take on bigger leading roles after this. After he developed a name for himself, uh, but playing a robotic, you know, cyborg was probably the best part he could play at that. Hey, it worked for Peter Weller. Yeah. Well, I think Arnold has gone on to more big things than Peter Weller has anyway. Yes, mm-hmm. but no matter how many big things Arnold may do, this is always going to be the one uh, that he that he's remembered for. This seems like the role that, you know, he was kind of 
born to play. And if if Christopher Reeve was born to play Superman, I think Arnold was born to be the Terminator. I I, I tend to agree, and he's been in a lot of roles, and he's been he's been in a lot of good movies, in in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, but this you know this was the start of. Of, of of you know a whole new avenue for him, uh, and we could probably debate, and we'll we'll get there maybe when we cover Terminator Two as to which one is better, because uh, I've heard a lot of debates about it, and it's interesting when you when you look at it from different perspectives. Uh, but you know certainly this is where he made his his bones. Now Michael Bean, uh, and we were talking about him before, uh, his career like you would you would think this would be the first step onto a significant leading man career uh which it really hasn't uh, i mean he was his star you know the you know the star that burns brightest burns out you know burns out twice as fast so his career yeah he was never really after this he was never the leading man he had a few good hits which funny enough were all with james cameron well, uh, there was Tombstone, which was not oh, Cameron. I forget about that. Yeah, but but, but he wasn't that, the star of that either. No, no, but in Aliens and the Abyss, he had he had big parts in those movies. That's true, but yeah, and, and he's he's kind of uh, sadly faded into obscurity at this point. Uh, but you know, such is such is life. In this movie, though, he. I, I thought he did a real good job of carrying his role and being an appealing guy. Now, you, you know, you, the story is set up in a way where, you know, you have to believe the love story between these two characters, uh, which takes place, what, over a day and a half? Yeah, if that. Yeah. And, and yet, it, it you know, it, it does play fairly well. You do sense the chemistry between the two of them. Well, I mean, you, you could say two people thrown together under extreme circumstances. You know, we've seen this in other right. types of movies. There's no reason it, it, that it doesn't work here. I've seen it in other movies, but I've also seen it not work in some movies. Mm. You know, well, it, maybe it's down it's to the actors, too. Yeah, it's a hit-and-miss thing, I think, a lot of times just with the, based on the chemistry between the two actors. And I, and I think it did exist in this. Now, Linda Hamilton, yeah. I'm trying to remember you know, where, where I, if, if I knew her particularly before this... Uh, I'm just trying to look quickly. I guess not. uh, Going back to Bane for just a second, another reason I'm kind of surprised that that he didn't go on to to bigger and better beyond this was that at the time, um, he had real potential to be, um, you know, sort of like like a Leonardo DiCaprio style action hero because uh, he was something of a heartthrob for the ladies. I remember that he was one of the the big takeaways from for the movie for my cousin, but also her mom. Um, in subsequent summers, when I would go down to, to stay with them, uh, her mom would always, you know, my aunt would always take us to the video store and and let us basically rent whatever the hell we wanted to, and we would always rent basically the same movies every time. We'd get like Tron, The Empire Strikes Back, and The Terminator despite the fact that it was an R-rated movie. And she would sit and she would watch it with us, you know, despite the fact that it had it had the sex scene and all of that. And I remember one of the things that she would invariably comment at some point in the viewing was about Bean and how sexy he was. And I've heard the same thing from, from other women that I've watched the movie with over the years, of, you know, how sexy he was and all that. You know, he just kind of had that bad boy thing. He was kind of grungy. It was the 80s. 
you know, that whole thing. So, I'm, again, it, it makes me very surprised that, that you know, he didn't somehow turn that into more than, than what he went on to. Because he kind of had a somewhat similar vibe in, uh, in Aliens later on, too. But then beyond that, he just kind of fizzles, I think. Yeah, I think his role in Aliens was very similar. And, you know, I guess James Cameron, uh, you know, used him in a very similar way in that movie. Uh, but but it, right. it did it did feel like he would become a bigger star, and you know well, what are you gonna do? Uh, Linda Hamilton, as I started to say, you know she, she, I don't know why, but she was like a familiar face, even though she hadn't really done much before this. But I seem to remember recognizing her, either that or possibly she's just one of these people who you kind of, you know, has that face where you think you recognize her. Yeah, you know, yeah. I was thinking about this when I watched the movie last night. You know. She, you know, you know, unlike you know what we normally see out of the women in Hollywood, she looks like somebody you'd run into while you're out. You know, she doesn't have that real Hollywood look. She looks, for lack of a better term, like a normal person. Mm-hmm. So, and and I, I thought she was well cast in this. I thought she played it well. You know, the whole waitress thing, and then there's the scene when they're in the apartment getting ready to go out, and she it it really seemed very natural the way this developed. And her more than anybody else. You can see her change from the beginning to the end. You can see her development into uh, kind of this girl kind of thrown into uh, these extraordinary circumstances to the heroine at the end who has to uh, kill the villain. Yeah, has to make the stand. Uh, now, I, I, I liked the whole aspect of it where Arnold's plan coming into this thing was or I guess uh, the Terminator's plan, uh, was to find all Sarah Connors and kill them. <laughs> I just, I, I, you know, he walks up to the one house, Sarah Connor, yes, kicks open the door and just shoots the woman twice. Uh, you I've, know. I've worked with a, uh, um, with a woman named Sarah Connell, and I always joke with her, are you Sarah Connell? <laughs> and she's like, wow, like I haven't heard that every, every day of my life. She's about 10 years older than me, so she's like, wow, like I haven't heard that every every year of my life since 1984. Thanks, Bill. Well, it would have been scariest <laughs> if she didn't know that. Yeah. Right. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of like that aspect of it, though. And then, you know, the whole way it develops where he's seeking them out one by one, and then he finally finds her at the club. You see the red light on her forehead for a moment. Doesn't quite get a chance to pull the trigger, but uh, you know it's I that love close. I that scene, the, the distortion of time. That's a very, that's a very comic booky scene. That scene because it, it does play with time and and distorts our perceptions as a viewer and stretches it out, much like it, it kind of would if it was happening to you. You know, like how time sometimes seems to to play and distort, like if you were. Uh, you know, like in an auto accident or a near miss or something, how how things tend to kind of stretch or or slow down, and it does that in that scene. I love it. The use of of the music, you know, where it, it does kind of a slow fade from the the sound of the tech noir behind them to the score, and then back again. And it's it's just it's so well done. You know, it's a really mm-hmm. nice mix of uh, of sound and 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 in picture there. Well, really let's, uh, and let's what I, what I also little... love about that is, in that scene too, we don't we don't know yet what Reese's intentions are, and right, she's, yeah, she's running from him. She's really running from him, right? Because she sees him following her, 
and, and obviously it's not until the Terminator turns the shooter that we 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 learn Reese's deal. But you know, he's just he's just as scary in that scene. It's true. At that right. point, you don't you know. It's hard to remember. This has been around so long, and we've seen it. At least I've seen it so many times that I watch it kind of now, knowing who the good guy and the bad guy are. And it's hard right. to put yourself back to not remembering that right. and, and you how, how you view it when you don't know, because it is set up for you not to know until the last second, which then, right. again, not to go into the sequel, but they kind of play on that a little bit again in, in the T2. Right. Uh, right. But I, I think, uh, you know, one of the things you hit on, Scott, is, is one of the, the strong points of this movie is uh, you mentioned, that you know, the, the music. I think the, the synthesizer music in this movie works really, really well to create that menacing mechanical feel. Uh, you know, yeah. it just kind of sets a mood. It's not, I don't think it's music that I'd want to listen to without the movie. But this one I find very listenable, strangely enough. Uh, this one I really enjoy away from the movie, um, unlike uh, the, the sequel. Um, but uh, it's funny because I don't know a lot about Brad Fidel. Um, he he's done you know he's done a significant amount of movies. Uh, however, you know for for I think I only have uh, two of his scores in my in my collection. And you know me, I have a, a large film score collection. But they are actually two of my favorites because right around the same exact time he did. Uh, well, actually, it was the next year he did Fright Night. Uh, and he actually, and he did the sequel as well, uh, *Fright Night 2*. Um, I like this score a lot. Um, one of the, you know, what what I one of the what I considered, you know, big scores, meaning you know, a, 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 you know, a great uh, acquisition when I was a kid was uh, I found the album uh, at a mall in Pennsylvania when I was uh, visiting family down there one summer. And uh, that, at the time, was really hard to find. But it was also one of the, the first big disappointments I ever had um, buying film scores. Because on one side of the album, you had um, select tracks from uh, Fidel's score. And then the other side, the flip side of the album, was all the shitty rock music that was in the movie. Like that mm. horrible song that uh, Sarah's uh, uh, girlfriend there, you know, roommate is listening oh, to on her God. headphones when, when her boyfriend's getting murdered and stuff. So it's <laughs> all this terrible rock music on the flip side. But right. I, I sing, always really the like the score. Right, yeah. <laughs> and clearly not listening to the same song either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, I like this. I, I always liked, uh, in particular, the theme, you know, the actual Terminator theme. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until fairly recently that <coughs> they released uh, a version of the soundtrack uh, that actually has the movie version. Because the, the version that was available on the original album, the, the version that was available for years, was, was more of a you know, like a studio version, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to the one that's actually heard in the film, uh, you know, that kicks off the movie, the title sequence. And I always really liked that, uh, that music and that title sequence, but yeah, it's, it's, it's actually a really good score. Although there is a, a significant portion of, uh, you know, especially if you, if you listen to the complete score, uh, there's a significant amount of it. It's just, you know, kind of like a background tone. And then you just get, Dun 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 dun, dun 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 dun. You know, over and mm -hmm. over again. But the action parts are great. You know, the the tunnel sequence. You know, uh, you know where uh, Schwarzenegger's chasing them. 
uh, you know, in the cop car and all that, the, uh, you know, the big chase, you know, near the end when, uh, when he's in the tractor trailer and of course the whole factory part. So there are some really great parts of the, uh, you know, of the score and the, and the dream sequence, uh, when, uh, when Sarah and Kyle are under the, you know, the, in, down in that culvert and, uh, and she dreams, uh, the, the music in that I always really liked as well. Uh, about the only part of it I ever was, uh, I ever felt was, you know, just like, eh, it was okay, but it wasn't the greatest was, uh, ironically the love, the love theme. I never thought was all that much of that, but, uh, the rest of it, I really liked, especially the, you know, again, the main Terminator theme, I, I think is, uh, Something of a movie classic. So it's one of yeah. those. It's one of those themes where the minute you hear that, boom, boom, boom. Oh yeah, boom, you know, you know what it is. Definitely. Um, for those that are interested, I would highly recommend. I, I couldn't tell you which album it's on, but somewhere out there, um, Eric Kunzel, uh, who uh, sadly he's passed away now, but he uh, uh, did a lot of uh, like film score. Uh, like compilation albums he he's the guy I, I talked about him a long time ago on two true freaks he uh used to always do um the fourth of july specials on pbs and he would always do movie music for those and everything he has a, a an album out there uh where he does the terminator theme and it's just fantastic his rendition of it is really really good if you can ever track it down but uh but anyway, yeah, I, I like this soundtrack. I think it's actually a, a really good one, and it's uh, it's to me it was always similar to um, what um, Jerry Goldsmith had done with like the original Planet of the Apes because it's just very different. It's very experimental. It's you know it's a lot of mechanical sounding things. You know a lot of metal and and things. And I I really like that. Well, I, I agree with you about it being experimental. I don't think it's quite as out there as the. Planet of the Apes score, because uh, that one. No, just I think in that just, vein, though. You know what I mean? Right. I, I get yeah. you. Because that one, that one is about as uh, just strange. <laughs> but I still enjoy it. But it's <laughs> very, just a very peculiar soundtrack. Uh, this this one is a little bit more on point than that one, I think. But it, it definitely sets, like I said, a, a, a mood. There's there's a, a mechanical feel and a threatening feel and a kind of like an acceleration of, of momentum kind of thing about it that just, and, and it almost creates the feeling of that relentless relentlessness of the Terminator. Right. Which is, I think one of the big keys in this movie is once you realize that this thing just isn't going to stop. And even, even when at the the end, when it's finally destroyed, you're still wondering, is it going to stop? And it still has that one last moment, uh, it's which a torso and an arm, and it's still going. Which, in in many ways, this reminded me when I first saw it of Westworld, and with you know Yul Brynner being the Terminator robot and virtually unstoppable. Uh, I don't I don't know if anybody else had that feel about it. Yeah. But that yeah. that that really you know I really felt that connection as I was watching this, uh, and then you know just to talk a little bit about the special effects in it. Uh, there's, you know, there's basically two things. There's just the makeup effects on Arnold as he's deteriorating and, uh, we're seeing things. And, and that, to me, that's a little hit and miss because there's points on it where it looks great. And then there's other points where it's, you could see clearly they had to build up his face to create, you know, the layers so that you could have the metal underneath and he, it just looks too swollen to look accurate. He's repairing himself. Oh boy, is that a puppet? Yeah. 
Well, I tell you something in in that though is a, again you have to put yourself back to both seeing it originally in the theater, but more importantly seeing it you know on video, seeing it on HBO with the technology of the time. You know, TVs that weren't high def. Um, you know, before DVD and Blu-ray and things like that. So I I think it's really only in modern times that we've come to look at it and go. Eh, that doesn't really hold up, or that doesn't look as good. But I remember back in the day thinking that 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 was really cool. I mean, when he carves his eye out with a freaking exacto, mm-hmm. I remember cringing right. about that shit every time because it looks so good, or it, it did look good. But again, it, it's one of those you know, kind of like Raiders, how you can see the glass in the in the snake pit now, you know. Right. So it, it, now, because that- of that clarity, you you lose a little of the realism. I, I, it's an unfortunate trade off. There's a rawness to this movie that I find really appealing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, not. You know, it if this were made today, it would be low. very refined. But they they take advantage right. of, uh, of of the film. Well, you know, every, you know, back then everything had to be shot in frame. So everything is in frame in this movie, except for the you know obviously the, some of the stop motion. But there's an, like in your face rawness about this movie that I find very appealing. It, if it was made today, it would be a lot shinier and a little more refined but that's one of the cameron things though a lot of times now in his career and i don't think he was at this point yet but i think he was by the time he got to t2 is he would come up with things to do that they didn't actually have the technology to make and then he'd have to wait for the technology to catch up to him to make it uh that's also why i think it took so long for a sequel i was reading something where he had an idea for this movie to bring in a liquid metal terminator but he knew he couldn't do it so he kind of had to sit on that until Mm mm-hmm technology caught up with them yeah until they got to the cgi and again i I keep referring to that one and i don't want to get too heavily into it because we'll talk about that another day uh the to me the special effect uh gem in this uh was the stop motion scene because it was you know very reminiscent of uh ray harryhausen uh I, i couldn't i couldn't help but think of you know sinbad with the fighting the skeleton uh, you know, as the the Terminator skeleton is is making its way after her, uh, but it also just you know not only did it just look cool, but it also had just again that sense of foreboding that it's just not going to stop. No matter what you do, this thing is going to keep coming at you. I'll tell you my my favorite effect in the movie, and if I hadn't seen there was a making of special that they used to show on uh, one of the pay channels. It was probably HBO, but I forget. And I don't know if this particular making of special ever wound up on any of the special features on disc or VHS or anything, but it was one I specifically remember watching multiple times, you know, when I was younger, when it was on pay television. And it was this one scene that on, you know, in the actual movie is a split second of, of film. You know, it's just, it's a blink and you miss it. But when you watch the making of special and realize all the work and the time that went into creating this microsecond of a special effect, you realize, oh my gosh, that's so convincing, I didn't even catch it. Those are the kind of special effects that I end up being the most impressed with. And what it is, is it's the scene where um, Sarah and Kyle pile into that car in the alleyway and then... uh, Kyle throws it in reverse, and he's trying to back the hell out of there as fast as he can. 
Arnold runs, jumps, lands on the hood of the car, cocks back his fist, and just plows his fist through the windshield to try to grab Sarah. Now, if somebody had asked me how they made that, you know, foolishly, especially when I was a kid, I probably would have said, well, Arnold just punched his hand through the windshield. Now, even for Arnold Schwarzenegger, that would hurt like hell. To break, do that. You'd break your Punch, hand, probably. Yeah, you'd probably break, yeah. yeah, you'd break your hand. And if not, but if you I wouldn't break really it, you'd certainly damage it. the skin on it very badly. Yeah. Oh, definitely, yeah. But I mean, it's just even one of those you, things that. But I guess you, you can you make breakaway really, glass. Right. Yeah, that too. You know, I was thinking. Well, you know, maybe it was just you know it's fake glass, and he just punched through it. Yeah. You, I just my my point is is that. I, I didn't stop to think about it, and I would imagine that probably ninety nine point you know point nine percent of viewers never stopped to think about how did they do that, you know. So when you watch this making of special, it's incredible what they had to go through. So the car's not actually moving; the wall was moving. They made the wall behind the scene so the wall would actually move, and then when Arnold cocks back his arm. There's actually a fake arm on a hydraulic press that actually punches forward and punches through the windshield. So all of this work and all of this incredible detail going into again a sec, uh, you know, a, a, a moment of film that doesn't even last a full second on the screen, and that that's the kind of stuff I love. It's like right. that attention to detail. But when it all plays, it's it's so incredibly convincing that I, I just never even stopped to question it. You know, how did they do that? Well, he just punched through the windshield. Well, no, because human beings can't do that, you know. And, but it works. It's so convincing. It's good stuff. Yeah, definitely. Well, and and that's a Cameron thing, the attention to detail. That's something, oh, yeah. right. you know, all of his movies. Uh, you know, some of them, I'm, I'm a bigger fan of some than others. But I, I think the attention to detail is universal in all of them. That's not something I don't think I, I would ever criticize in any of them. Well, I, I just wanted to say I agree with what Mike was saying. Uh, the, the feel of this movie is is one of the things I like the best about it because it's it was made on a relatively small budget. And it kind of feels that way. Whereas I, I agree with him that if it were made today or, God forbid, remade you know that they would go for, you know, the summer tent pole over the top, you know, you know, multi hundred million dollar right. blockbuster movie. And that's not what this movie is. And I, I know we want to shy away from talking about sequels, but I just want to say, I, I think maybe that's part of the reason why uh, some of the sequels haven't done as well. Uh, and this and, is also and the, still kind of pale in comparison to the original because the original's not a. It became a phenomenon, but it's not it in itself a summer blockbuster movie. It actually feels more like a small independent movie, and that I think that's kind of the charm of it. Well, you got to remember where we're coming from here. You know, James Cameron at this point had made Piranha Two. That was it. Right. Right. You know, he he wasn't coming right. in here with yeah. a big Hollywood reputation. Uh, you know, he he was right. he was really not a big name at the time. He obviously had the talent, but that talent, you know, doesn't get you that far if you don't have the name. So he was he, James he Cameron had, before he was James Cameron. Exactly. Right. <laughs> so yeah. he needed to make his bones, and this is really the movie that made him, uh, for the most part, because he he. I think he earned his reputation on this, and they gave him a shot at Aliens. And then I think when they gave him Aliens, he hit that one out of the park. And from that point forward, he's been James Cameron. Right. 
So, you know, but you can't you can't leave that out. And also, this is the, the Terminator concept. This film is the concept in its purest form. It just seems like with every sequel, the concept has been diluted a little bit. Yeah, well, I, definitely. I, I, I think I think this was made, you know, without any intention of having a sequel, right. or, or without certainly without any expectation of having one. And, uh, you know, so it is, it is more pure because I think it's, it's meant to be kind of a standalone movie at the time. I don't think, I don't, I don't think they intended, you know, there was, there was no, okay, we're going to make, you know, a series or we're going to have a, you know, a property here. This was, we're going to have a movie and see how we can do with it. And, you know, we spent six million to make it and we made whatever, 30 some odd million. We're happy. We're good. <laughs> I think that's really where we right. were until it went out on home video and turned out to be popular enough that they said, Hey, you know. What do you think about a sequel to that one? <laughs> that I think that's again one of the the beauties of the film is that it is very self-contained. It stands on its own and I always liked the very cyclical nature of the story. I think some of the best time travel stories have that kind of twist to them to where they they you know they were fated events and that this movie very much has that feel that you come to understand at the end of the movie that the things that happened to Sarah and the events and, you know, having Reese come back, having the Terminator come back, they, they didn't alter the course of her life or the course of events. They actually fulfilled this almost like preordained thing. It's, that a, was it's supposed a predestination you know, paradox. And, and I love it. I, I love that feel to the movie. And that, that is one of the major reasons why, uh, you know, while there's some I like and some I don't, that ultimately I, I never really needed a sequel to this because I think it stands beautifully on its own as what it is. It's what I love about the time travel in this movie is that the characters are all wrong about it. They're all beating this. The future is not set drum yet, and and yet and yet happens, they go to fulfill the future. Right, right. Everything that happens proves them proves them wrong and. I don't think a lot of people picked up on that because there's a lot. A lot of people glommed onto the future is not set, but you know, if you just listen to the things Reese, te- Reese tells her that she was in hiding before the war. Well, why was she in hiding before the war? Why would she teach John all this stuff unless these events have always happened to her and she was preparing him for it? Yeah. And, it, and well, it's exactly the way, honestly, it's the way it plays out in the sequels anyway. Because they, right. they do eventually turn it into, this is inevitable. This was going to happen no matter what. And no matter what you do to stop it, all you're doing is delaying it. You're never going to stop it because see, it's, it's going to happen. I'll disagree with that. Uh, I'll yeah, disagree but you'd be wrong. I, I, <laughs> I think it's the other way around. I, I think that in this movie, that's one of the things that always really drove, drove me crazy about, uh, especially Terminator 2, um, is really the one where it, be- it begins the mantra of the future's not set. And according to Sarah, it was Kyle that had, had basically put that in her head. That's very contrary to his character in this, because in this movie, uh, the original Terminator, he's preparing her for what her life is going to be and for what the future is. I don't think... I never really bought this idea that he was trying to tell her that she could make her own destiny. I think he very much believes that every all this stuff is set. She's got to do this in order to fulfill the future that he he knows. Yeah, well, we're not so, really disagreeing. <laughs> we're, uh, we're agreeing that, that the future, is, despite the fact that they give this talk about the future not being set, 
everything that it happens is. in these movies says that it is, including the fact right. even as, and to go again, I, I'm sorry, I keep drifting into sequels, but at the end of the second movie, okay, we've destroyed the uh, the arm, we've destroyed the the chip, we've destroyed the T, you know, the T. 800 that came back we've destroyed the t-1000 now there's nothing to to do anything and then we have terminator 3 where it's skynet is formed anyway and it's in the same history there yeah, same the government continuity skynet, right. the government's gonna get skynet somehow somewhere. so 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 no matter how you slice it, the way that, you know the way these movies come they could talk about free will and, and creating your own future but the future that is happening here is inevitable. Then we had the Sarah Connor Chronicles on TV where they did the same thing. They said, okay, they delayed this future, but here it is. Here it's coming, you know, 20 years later than we thought it was going to be, but here it comes. You know, and they just keep doing that over and over again. They keep saying, you know, you're doing everything you can to change the future, but the future is inevitable. Hmm. I, 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 can't help but feel again. You know, there there have been some sequels I really like. There was some I, I didn't care for, but ultimately, uh, I guess my question to you guys: You know, did we ever really need a sequel to this? Because ultimately, I don't. I don't think I did. I think it stands really nicely as it is. Well, here, here's uh, my take on that: is I don't think we needed a sequel because I do think this is an excellent standalone movie. Yeah, but. T2 is one of my favorite movies, so I'm not going to complain that they made a sequel <laughs> and happened to make one of my favorite movies at the time they did it. They didn't need it, but certainly I'm happy they did it. Yeah, that's, that's kind of yeah. where, where I am on the sequel, on at least, at least Terminator 2. And then, you know, I mean, I have, you know, the mileage varies on everything else other than that. But uh, once again, one of the very early episodes of this show, Bill and I covered Terminator Genesis. Nothing? Okay, and uh, oh, sorry. And, well, and, I figured I did it once already. So, and we and we both, uh, <laughs> you know, we both were fairly positive on it. We weren't giving it, you know, a Jaws review, but we both said, you know, it was an enjoyable movie to sit through and watch. So, you know, it, it's it's the franchise is not necessarily, you know, a lost cause. And and looking at it, you know, as as we uh, we uh, were talking before, apparently there is a movie right now. It's just titled Terminator Six. Uh, but that, I assume, is not going to be the release. And they have finished filming. They're in post-production now. And oh, it's really? schedu scheduled to be released November of 2019. Huh. Is, is James Cameron involved? I heard he had some involvement in it. But he has 37 Avatar sequels to make. <laughs> Terminator 6. That's a good dicks. question. Oh. Well, Arnold is in it. <laughs> He is involved as story. He did not direct the film, but he right, is well. Just the fact that he's story. involved in the story is probably a step up from what he's done in uh, everything since T two. I don't think. Oh, he did had. he find another script that belonged to Harlan Ellison? Ooh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <say that loud>? <laughs> <laughs> he's not been directly involved with any uh, of the sequels since the second one. So, mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm, well, I'm not I, sure what that says. I do give him credit for having a a, a very uh, fertile mind as far as coming up with you know a, a quality science fiction story, uh, although sometimes they're uh, a little derivative. Uh, Avatar, uh, but whatever. Unobtainium. Oh, sorry. Yeah, unobtainium was one of the whatever. Something you can't find. What do we name it? Mm. <laughs> 
Anyone? According to Wikipedia, it says it will be the sixth installment in the Terminator franchise and serves as a direct sequel to Terminator 2 Judgment Day, disregarding the subsequent films and the Sarah Connor Chronicles television series. So, well, nobody um, we got to wipe it out. Which, you know, there was a series yeah, of books I, I read. Well, you know, I'll save that whenever we do Terminator 2, because I read a bunch of Terminator 2 books that continue just as it continues the storyline as if nothing ever happened with all the other movies. So, And they, they were pretty good. Yeah, well, I, I have no doubt oh, that we'll cover yeah. Terminator 2 and uh, that it will rank fairly highly. Uh, beyond that one, I'm not sure <laughs> what, <laughs> what, 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 what will be said. But anyway... Uh, you know, Scott. One of your one of your criteria when you rate these movies is quotability. Now, certainly, we have Arnold's mm-hmm. quintessential quote in this: "I'll be back." Uh, right. Are there any other quotes that you that you're particularly uh, fond of in this? Yeah. Um, basically, Kyle's entire rant in the police department. I quote that on a <laughs> fairly regular basis, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I don't know how, uh, I don't know how Give blue you go jeans, on this show, uh, Paul. What's that? Uh, but, uh, I, I said, I don't know, I don't know what, what the language is like on, on regular episodes of Is It Jaws, but the whole thing where, uh, the guy, you know, stops by his apartment and says, hey buddy, you got a dead cat in there or what? And he's got the possible <laughs> list of responses right. and he just gives a simple, you I love that. <laughs> yeah, that gets yeah. a laugh for me every single time. So yeah, but yeah, you, uh, you have to see it on the screen. It's not just a quote yeah. there because you need to see right. the choices. It's not just him saying right. it. in giant letters. It pops up, and I mean, you know, seeing that on the movie screen is a, is quite a hoot too. That is, um, I agree. I'm trying to think of what other. I mean, there's there are a bunch well, of well in, in the there. I'm just, in the pawn shop one that I like to use at work. The inline of that after Dick Miller does his little speech <laughs> when he goes oh. to load the gun. And um, you know Arnold just goes wrong, <laughs> right? I, I love saying that <laughs> at work. Can't, well, well, we could do that wrong. He did that. He did that line in Commando, also. Yes. Oh, I'm trying to think. I know there's some other good ones in there too. Well, of course, you know, you you were doing it earlier, uh, Bill. You know, the Sarah Connor. You know, yeah, when he comes to the door. Um. See, and, uh, and it, I, it's I should... it's almost it's almost quotable because of Arnold, because like right. Sarah Connor, that would, you know that's not a great memorable line, but when you say it with it's the Arnold, voice. when you say it with the Arnold voice, it becomes cool. So, anything <laughs> else about a rifle this? in the forty megawatt range? What? Just, just what you what see. You see on the <laughs> Uh, any any other aspect of this movie that any of you care to discuss right now yes. before, before we, we take this further? We failed to mention uh, two other people that are in, in the cast, and that's Bill Paxton. Okay, yeah. Yes. yes. And, one, of the, one of the tough guys at the beginning. And the other put tough her guy in is, charge. Is, <laughs> Wrong the movie. Other t- <laughs> the, other t- the other tough guy is Brian Thompson. I love Brian Thompson. He's underrated. He's in a lot of stuff that you just don't you miss him. Yep. You know, he was in he was in Enterprise, he was he was in the X-Files. Which which one was Brian T- Thompson I'm trying to picture him? He's the guy that actually the clothes that he takes off of if I remember. Oh, the oh the guy that was wearing the coat that's clearly three sizes too big for him. <laughs> was he the bad guy in Cobra? Uh yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, he he was so over the top in that movie. I, I love him though. He's he's such a freaky looking dude because he looks like his, his like his jaw's been dislocated or something. And he's just movie, a weird ass looking guy, but he's I, I love him. I think he's a great actor. He would he, he would scare the hell out of you if you met him in person, I'm sure. Right, yeah. And, yeah, you would. And he was also in the in the Joe Dirt movie, he played like a Buffalo Bill guy. <laughs> He played a really good character on Enterprise. He was uh, a Romulan, a Romulan uh, yeah. commander, admiral, or something. And yeah, he was he was good in that. It was it was a different kind of role for him. I think. But yeah, he gets, he's he's. I a think good, he gets the short. The and of course, Bill Paxton. Yeah, I love yeah. Bill Paxton too. I, I I miss that guy. Yeah. But nice. the other thing about Terminator for Go me, ahead. that once once I was out on my own and I had enough money when when I when I went in the service. One of the first things I did when I had, well, as Scott would, Scott can attest, when you're in the service, you have disposable income if you're smart because you live on a base. You usually don't have to pay rent. You don't have to pay health insurance. So you start, you know, after a while, you know, I, I got a little money. So what is the, so what did I do? I Hookers and a, drinks. Yeah, that was me, man. In a flop house telling people, <laughs> you. No, I bought myself a pair of gargoyles. The sunglasses, the sunglasses he wears in this movie on the movie poster. I had a pair of gargoyles for years, and then when I lost that, I lost that pair on on a plane. I bought another one. <laughs> I think I had three pairs before. I was like, you know, I got to stop buying eighty five dollars sunglasses and either breaking them and or losing them. <laughs> so yeah, but I loved my gargoyle glasses, and I had spiky hair back then, and I I was actually not in bad shape. So I was, you know. I was, I was, I was, not that I was physically imposing, but, you know, I, you, you, I, I could dream I was Arnold. You were the two true freaks version of Arnold. Yeah, come on, yeah. <laughs> I always used to like the, uh, the poster. And of course, the poster was also the, the cover of the, of the soundtrack album as well. But just that picture of, of Arnold, he's wearing the sunglasses, he's got the open, uh, leather jacket, he's got the, T eight hundred reflected in the in the sunglasses. He's holding that that big ass laser gun. It's just, I love it. It's just, it's it's such a you know just a quintessential piece of the eighties. You know, mm-hmm. it's oh, great. Yeah, I mean, I the whole the cover movie is a wonderful yeah. time capsule. Yeah, you know that laser sight was um was actually that really wasn't th- something that was truly on the market because I was reading some stuff about it and and he actually had they had like a separate battery power pack for it like hidden out of yeah. off camera because it was so you know they didn't actually have anything like that that's that, funny. that was workable that could latch onto a gun that was that strong you know because that's a pretty piercing right. light that that thing puts out well that smoke helped too yeah we didn't talk very much about uh about paul winfield i, I always liked him in uh, this. i mean he's not in it yeah. for very much but i always liked him and uh he went mad he Shot up the station. Oh, wait, sorry. I'm, I'm getting my movies. <laughs> he was late. He had to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> I it's had to funny, go to something damn I did not know until something I didn't know until today. You know, doing a little bit of research uh, prep for this episode, I, I did not realize that he was gay. It says here. Uh, uh, I was reading about. I was reading his Wikipedia, and it was talking about uh, his personal life and his death, and uh, and it just mentioned here. Uh, uh, that he was gay, but remained discreet about it in the public eye. Well, yeah, he did, because I, I had no idea. So I didn't either. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know, and honestly, it makes no difference. Uh, no. no, I mean, it does. I just I, I just found it kind of curious that 
you know, in these in this day and age when you seem to know everything about all these actors and everything, that that was something I didn't know about the guy. But I always liked him. I, I always thought he was a really good actor too. I liked him in uh, in his couple of Star Trek roles and all that. Well, he he was great not only in in Star Trek too, but in the uh, TNG episode with uh, Tarmok. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that was, he, was, he was awesome in that. But I guess that leads us to the big question. Gentlemen, is this yours? Let's see. We started with, we went uh, Mike, Scott, Bill, so let's reverse that. Bill, you go first. Um, yeah, this is Jaws. I I can watch this again. This is, and, and I think for, I mean, at the time, it didn't get the, you know, it had to build up its its reputation but I think that's because of the time it came out in. I mean, if this this was to pop out Walker now, the effects would be ridiculous. Um, but I think it hit at the right time. It was something that 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 it was something new, although that could be debated. But we're not going to get into that debate. But at least, but at least the movie, I, I, yeah, it's a Jaws for me, Scott. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think it's, uh, I think the story's fantastic. I think the characters are really engaging. Uh, I think there's a lot of similarities between this movie and Jaws, uh, in the way that it's, it's aging and everything. I think it's actually aging pretty well. And, uh, you know, with Jaws, I think sometimes people forget that, you know, there's, there's some parts of Jaws that are a little cheesy special effects wise these days, you know, in the shark you know, so many people always want to point out, you know, there's the, the certain scenes where the shark looks really fake and all. I mean, there's a couple of moments with the Terminator where it's not aged real well. The the scene that always stands out to me is when uh, when the exoskeleton is charging down the hallway at Sarah and Kyle as they're trying to lock the door. That just looks like a really bad map shot now. It's very it's just, cartoony. It, yeah, it's very cartoony. It's not aging well at all. But other than that, I think most of it looks really damn good, and it and it holds up really well over time. And I think um, when Sarah puts the gate down and pushes the button and and the the line she delivers to kill the Terminator, I think that's very reminiscent to "Smile, you son of a bitch." So I think mm. there's a lot of parallels between the two movies. So yeah, for me, this is definitely Jaws. This is you know one of my criteria for. You know, is a movie Jaws is uh, you know the things you mentioned, Paul, but also you know that that thing of you know if it's on, and no matter where it is in the movie, will you find yourself watching it? And yes, I, I, no matter where this is in the in the movie, if I was flipping channels and caught it, I'd probably end up watching it till the end of the movie because it's just it sucks me in every time. It's just a great movie, Mike. Yeah, this is a. Uh... This is Jaws for me too. One of my favorite things about about this movie is, I mean, I mentioned before this this movie really kind of was my gateway into uh, you know some some darker and more adult science fiction. So uh, this movie just opens up a whole whole new world for me. And uh, one of the one of the things I like about this movie, especially watching it now, there's no BS in this movie. This movie it gives you everything you need. It doesn't kind of wander around into side plots it it's it stays focused yeah it it'll give you some breathers throughout but it's a solid story it's in, all all the characters all the characters are engaging i have there's not really one one, one complaint i have about this movie yeah this is definitely jaws for me all right i'm gonna have to put this at jaws three uh, just to what? piss, just to piss, <laughs> just to piss you guys off because it's a Jaws movie. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I pretty much agree with everything that, that you've said. And, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's got a raw feel to it. It's not as slick and shiny as what we saw they could eventually do with it. But that almost adds to it. It's one of these movies where you can, you know, you can kind of join it anywhere along the progress and just be in, enthralled from that moment on, uh, much like Jaws. It, it's got this breakneck pace to it that just keeps building and building that almost like the Terminator itself. Uh, it, it's paced incredibly well. Uh, the, you know, the acting, you know, the acting is, is, is fine for what it is. Nobody's, you know, asked to emote so greatly, but the only acting that I think we're asked for is to get the chemistry between Michael Bean and, and, uh, and what's, what's her face. Uh, <laughs> Linda Hamilton, Linda Hamilton, uh, so you know that's that's really the only acting we're asked for in this movie. Otherwise, it's the story and it's the uh, just the directing that kind of carries the day on it. And then you just need Arnold to be you know as threatening as he can be, which he is. So I, I really can't come up with any significant flaws in this movie at all. Uh, you know, other other than some minor nitpicks maybe here and there. Uh, the science fiction concept of it is great too. So it's one that that leaves you thinking when it's over. So yeah, overall this is just a great movie and it's it's a Jaws ranking. Uh, I started like thinking about it and it's funny because Dave Weeder and I recently talked about a movie and we were talking about well what if you like this one better? And it's the bottom line is there's only four categories to place these movies in. There's Jaws two, Jaws three, Jaws four. Uh, so there's a lot more than four movies out there. So you're going to have movies that are going to go into the same category where you might rank one above the other, but you still got a category. And they can also be there for different reasons. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's not a matter of, well, I, I, you know, I can think of a few movies I liked better, so this can't be Jaws. No, they could all be Jaws, you know, if, if they're all that good. And this one lives up to that and is that good. So, yep, it's Jaws. Uh, I'm not sure when. But what I could say is, as far as jo- as Terminator Two will be back at some point. Uh, I just felt I'd the like need to, to be say a that. part of that one because uh, I, uh, I I have a, a strange relationship with that movie. All right, well we'll plan on it, and, 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 and maybe I'd, maybe I'd like we'll come back too if I'm invited. Maybe we'll see if we can put the same quartet together me, to, to me, discuss me, that one when me. the time comes. In the meantime, we're all available to you on the Two True Freaks Network, so. Uh, I, I would ask everybody to say where you can find them, but you can find us all on the True, True, Two True Freaks Network. Just look for us there. Thank you guys for coming on. I appreciate it. And uh, see you in two weeks at the next next movie. We'll be back. The dwarf gauge autoloader. That's Italian. You can go pump or auto. The 45 long slide with laser siding. These are brand new. We just got them in. That's a good gun. You just touch the trigger, the beam comes on, and you put the red dot where you want the bullet to go. You can't miss. Anything else? Phased plasma rifle in the 40 watt range. Hey, just what you see, pal. The Uzi 9mm. You know your weapons, buddy. Any one of these is ideal for home defense. So, uh, what shall it be? All. I may close early today. There's a 15-day wait on the handguns, but the rifles you can take right now. You can't do that. Wrong.